0: Hi, I'm Jen White, and this is Reset.
1: As we get closer to Hanukkah, the hunt for the
0: perfect latke is on. Grating versus shredding of potatoes we grade most of the time. So you get a smaller potato, it melts, it kind of falls apart when you break the locket.
1: But first, we jump out of the frying pan and into the fire. The fire that is Chicago's financial situation. On Monday, Mayor Lightfoot talked about her long-term plan to reboot the city's economy.
0: I want to look forward not just to 2020 or 2021, but to an economic plan that extends to 2030.
1: But a new report from Moody's says that of the 25 largest cities in the U.S., Chicago and Detroit are the least prepared to weather another recession. Sun-Times City Hall reporter Fran Skillman says the rating agency used four factors when they were coming up with their list.
2: Fiscal volatility, that was a 25 percent weight. Reserve coverage, 30 percent. Financial flexibility, 25 percent. And pension risk, 20 percent. And they basically said that the city's high fixed cost, meaning the labor and the, the stuff that, you know, as soon as you, the cost of just operating, opening the doors, paying, meeting payroll, coupled with its pension liabilities of $28 billion, make it one of the city's least prepared for a near-term recession.
1: I want you to re- to define one of these other terms, reserve coverage. What is that?
2: Reserve coverage what are your reserves and how much could that cover in terms of you know your your expenses? and the city was you know pretty bad in that category as well so the city doesn't have enough reserves to cover uh... what what it needs to and if revenues go down then they're in trouble.
1: We're talking to Suntime City Hall reporter Fran Spillman about a new report out from the ratings agency Moody's. It says that of the 25 largest U.S. cities, Chicago and Detroit are the least prepared to weather another recession like the one we saw a decade ago. Well, Fran, Moody's is the only ratings agency that rates Chicago bonds as junk. And as you explained, but just explain what a bond rating is and how it affects the city's bottom line.
2: Well, a bond rating determines how much you pay in interest. And what access you have to capital. So when Moody's put Chicago in the junk category, it was very, very costly, tens of millions of dollars. It's like a scarlet letter, but it's a scarlet letter that has a big, big price tag to it. And I remember Rahm Emanuel saying at the time that this was a decision that was going to cost the city dearly and that it would be very difficult to get out of. And so once you have that, it is very difficult. The city was forced to retire some of its most risky debt at the time. That was costly. And then the interest rate going forward was very costly. Now, the issue here is not just that the city is ill-prepared or a recession, according to Moody's, but that Mayor Lifet's budget has so many one-time revenues, including... $300 million TIF surplus, the largest in city history, a $1.5 billion refinancing with all $210 million in savings claimed up front, which is not a great practice, a $93 million clawback from the Chicago Public Schools for pension and security money that the city used to cover. The city has also got they're counting on 150 million in unspecified cuts from zero-based budgeting and we don't know what that money is and then there's the 163 million by raising ambulance fees paid by private insurers and also getting federal approval for reimbursements for medicaid patients and we that has not come through either and will it given the criticism of Donald Trump that's come from the city of Chicago so you have all of that plus you have this huge uh, pension balloon that comes up with a billion dollars in added expenses. And add to that the fact that Lori Lightfoot did not uh... succeed in springfield when she tried to get her casino gambling fix and she didn't get her uh, graduated real estate transfer tax either and the question is will she uh... before governor pritzker uh... gets that vote on his graduated income tax so all of those factors make it a very very kind of shaky situation for the city.
1: Well, as we noted at the top, Mayor Lightfoot laid out a 10-year plan for boosting Chicago's economy and growing the city's population this week. But she, she didn't mention the recession, and we know some economists think that is something on the horizon, and she only mentioned the pension crisis in passing during that speech. What do you make of that?
2: She's trying to lay out in very broad strokes what she hopes uh, the city will accomplish, and she is absolutely correct that the city needs to grow its population but that is a very complicated situation when you consider that the black exodus is tied to so many things including crime and schools and and all of that so all of these things in terms of population growth are long term Goals and wonderful goals, but how long is it going to take? And in the meanwhile, if we go into a recession and if the economy makes, you know, plunges revenues in the middle of all this other shaky stuff, then we're really in trouble.
1: And what does that and, mean uh, for, for Chicagoans? How will they feel the impact of, of that potential recession?
2: Well, I mean, the mayor has said that if she strikes out again in Springfield, and again, now let's talk about Springfield. Springfield's in this very difficult environment of the scandal that's unfolding. Mm-hmm. And then you have John Cullerton about to retire, uh, who was a great, great friend to the city of Chicago and a great ally of Mayor Rahm Emanuel's. So if you have that kind of uncertainty, and then you have Madigan, you know, weakened and also not recusing himself from the casino vote, then you have a situation where she might not get what she needs. She might not get either thing. Now, maybe she'll get the casino fixed because Governor Pritzker needs it. Governor Pritzker needs a Chicago casino to to bankroll his transportation plan. But I dare say that he doesn't want to see any real estate transfer tax happen until after he gets his vote on the graduated income tax next November. Because you're hitting really the same people, the high-end people, the high rollers, the people who make the big purchases. So if she doesn't get that, then you're going to see a property tax increase. She tried to avoid it. Some people believe she made a mistake in avoiding it because the political playbook says when you get elected – raise taxes to the hilt in the first year and hope everybody forgets in the, in the final three years that's politics 101 as far as the mayor of chicago is concerned and that's what we've seen through the years she decided not to do that she heard a, an earful from people in these public hearings saying don't raise my property taxes so she didn't she raised them only about 18 million for uh, getting the libraries open on Sunday and she took advantage of the increase for general obligation bonds. So the total increase for Chicago is about 70 70 million counting the city colleges. But I I dare say if she if she strikes out again or if there's a recession, the property taxes is Mr. reliable and so we'll see property taxes raised again.
1: Well, for Chicagoans who are very concerned about the city's financial health, are there any key factors you would encourage us to keep an eye on just as these moving pieces continue to move around?
2: The Civic Federation President Lawrence Massol, who's a great expert on uh, municipal finance, has been harping at the need for the city of Chicago to have a long-term plan and a long-term plan has got to be not just let's get through this budget oh hooray let's have a parade we got it but rather have a plan that has alternatives and one of the alternatives that he would like to see is some serious really serious cutting of the city budget we still have agencies that maybe we can't afford anymore we still have job vacancies even though the mayor and, uh, Mayor lightfoot eliminated some of them a couple hundred of them there's still about 2000 of them that the union's want to hold open but maybe maybe we can't afford it there's still uh, cuts that could be made in the fire department uh, with some of these ancillary payments, the supplemental payments to the rank and file that are so very costly and some of these traditions that they have, the uniform allowance and the daily days, and all the things that Rahm Emanuel talked about getting rid of but didn 't and in the police department there are there 's a huge number of brass, so there are things that can be cut that haven 't been cut and so a long term plan would require the city to probably find new sources of revenue, whether it's a service tax or, uh, you know, another a, a broader congestion fee or something like that. And also to go further with cuts.
1: Well, switching gears, Mayor Lightfoot named a new transportation commissioner for the city yesterday. Gia Biagi, what can you tell us about her?
2: She is a woman who spent about 11 years in the Park District. Um, She is someone who started as a policy aide to Mayor Richard M. Daley, and she has spent the last five years at Jeannie Gang's wonderful architectural firm in chicago she is someone who is described as a visionary someone who knows the best practices and things that are the new ideas around the country the department of transportation uh... c dot as they call it it's an operational department. It's a functional department. You've got to run projects. But you also have to be a visionary of sorts. You have to think about what's possible. And so, uh, Mary Sue Barrett of the uh, Metropolitan Planning Council is really high on uh, Gia biaggi who the, city, the mayor's office didn't make available for interviews because they have this policy of don't let them talk until <laughs> after they've been confirmed by the city council. I don't right. know why. So, she's the kind of person that can really look at the big picture. She comes on at a time when uh, the city is implementing, about to implement this $40 million congestion fee uh, that was very controversial in the budget, but really is the beginning of a discussion that's got to be much broader than this. It's got to be a living, breathing thing to look at how does this work work. Are we succeeding in reducing congestion and getting people to use mass transit? And if not, what do we have to do to make that happen? And they also have to look at the bus service. And, and you know, why, are, why is bus service declining? It's declining because the population is declining. But it's also declining because buses get stuck in traffic.
1: We're going to have to wrap up and leave it there. But thanks. at Chicago Sun-Times City Hall reporter Fran Spillman. Fran, it's always great to talk to you.
2: Okay. Have a great day.
1: Hanukkah starts this year on December 22nd, and one of the key foods Jewish families eat for the holiday is latkes. Well, we sent our food contributor, Monica Ang, out this week, along with producer Jason Mark, in search of the perfect latke. And Jason thinks he might have found it in Buffalo Grove. But before we start peeling potatoes, he explains some latke Hanukkah history.
3: Here is the abbreviated version. Around 200 BC, Israel was ruled by Syrian Greeks. At some point, a king takes over. He outlaws Judaism. Uh, There's massacres. An altar to Zeus is erected in the temple in Jerusalem. And then somehow, against all odds, a ragtag Jewish army led by a guy named Judah Maccabee. He beats back the Greeks. They rededicate the temple. They're about to light the big menorah, and they realize that there's only enough oil for one night, and it'll take like a week before they can get their mitts on some more oil. So they light it anyway, and miracle of miracles That one night's worth of oil lasts eight days, and so now you've got an eight-day celebration of Hanukkah. Okay, where does the fried food come in? Because of the oil. Okay, Okay. all right. So (laughs) you've got this oil that miraculously lasted a long time, and so now oil becomes part of the story and part of the traditions, and you eat stuff that is fried in oil.
1: And I have no problem with foods that are fried in
3: oil. Uh, neither saying. do I. Just
1: saying. Um, so it, for folks who may be unfamiliar, though, I think latkes are, are pretty well known. Just explain what it is. Well, a
3: latke is a fried potato pancake. You can grate it or shred it. That is the potato. You mix it with egg, maybe a little bit of flour. You form it into patties, then you fry it. Okay, now you went out yesterday to do a little latke one-on-one.
1: Uh, who did you talk to?
3: Okay, so I went to Original Bagel and Bialy in Buffalo Grove, and I met the owner's Karen Karen and Lon Gittler, and they're doing a great job out there of keeping the classic sort of Jewish-style deli alive with all the traditional foods. Now, you can get latkes in a variety of styles. You can get them sort of very thin and lacy and crispy. You can get them very puffy and pillowy, or you can get them somewhere in between. So I put this to Karen. What are yours like, and how did you come up with that decision?
0: Our customer basically told us what style they like. And we're somewhere in the middle. So our typical latke is about a half an inch thin, and it's, like I said, the size of a piece of bread. There's also a lot of other little secrets that go into that latke, because we're a double fry store. So when we do that regular latke, you could have one or two as a serving. If you're going to have them as a meal, you go mini. So it's half the thickness and a little bit smaller, a lot more crunchy edges. There's also grating versus shredding of potatoes. We grade most of the time. So you get a smaller potato. It melts. It kind of falls apart when you break the latke.
3: Now, what about the toppings? Okay. Now, there's a schism among latke <laughs> eaters. Right, there's two main toppings uh, topics of argument uh, over this savory sour cream or the sweet of applesauce. That's how it breaks down usually among people. And I asked Karen how it breaks down at Original Bagel and Bialy.
0: You have some people who won't even look at the sour cream. They just dip in the applesauce. And then you have the people who say, can I double dip? They like them mixed together. Very few pick just sour cream. You have a lot more who pick just applesauce. So I think the sweet and the savory, which has become more and more popular, um, my personal, I have would have to say, is applesauce. But I only like my latkes when they're really, like, warm. So you get the warm latke with the cold, sweet applesauce, and that's my personal favorite. But the latkes also have to have a little salt on them. So you get all that together.
1: We're talking about some very specific holiday food traditions today on Reset. Producer Jason Mark is here with us alongside our food contributor, Monica Ang, And we're talking about the Hanukkah tradition of latkes. Okay, I've got to find out where each of you come down. Monica, applesauce, sour cream, both?
0: I'm sour cream and I like the big pillowy. Lotkeys at Manny's. They're like kind of giant sponges.
3: (laughs) What about you, Jason? I actually like the sort of the in-between style that they do at Original Bagel and Bialy and I most definitely land on the applesauce side Uh, of this I'm a sour cream
1: girl. I'm a sour cream girl. Okay, so Original Bagel and Bialy, of course, are in Buffalo Grove, but how many lotkeys do they make during the holiday season?
3: Well, that is a good question and the answer is a lot. And I I did remember to ask Karen this very question.
0: During a normal week, we'll sell maybe 50 latkes. People do eat them year-round. This last year, they've kind of transformed. People are eating latkes instead of bread and making a latke sandwich. So we'll go through 50, 70 a week. Well, Hanukkah, five to eight times that, and that's a regular latke, which is a big latke, like a large piece of wheat or white bread. Mini lockies are the bomb on the holidays. We can have pre-orders for four to six hundred every day when it comes time to Hanukkah, and we also do one other crazy thing here. We make a locky French fry. You guys want more crunch and soft? Let's make this potato locky. Let's cut it into sticks. So we will also do a couple hundred orders of those every weekend.
3: And Jen, you had some of the, you. I did. Both of you I
0: had
1: the some.
3: The whole crew had some right. yesterday. What was your uh, assessment? I lo-
1: well, it was funny? I smelled them before I even saw you. Oh, yeah. You you came in and my back was turned. And I said, "What is? What am I smelling?" Because it was sort of potato and I think onion, mm. and uh-huh. it, they smelled amazing. And and they do have. I'm used to the the flatter, crispier ones, but these had a little more. Heft. Yeah, a little more heft to them, and I thought they were delicious. Yeah,
3: that's right. They grate the potatoes, as she said, instead of shredding them. Then they put them on a flat-top grill right away, and that gets all the moisture out. Then they mix the potatoes in with the rest of their secret batter. Maybe there's a little onion, some other things going on there. Then they form the patties, and they do a quick fry. Then they put them in the fridge— and then they wait for the orders to come in from the customers. And as soon as they get that order, they take them out of the fridge and give them that second fry. And this double fry process is what allows these latkes to be extra crispy on the outside and very soft on the inside. Here's a little bit more from Karen about that.
0: We'll start with one, which if you look at it, it's if this was hot, it's brown, it's nice and crunchy. That might be like something you made at home and you're ready to serve. But... Now, when they're ready, we'll go and we'll double fry them. And again, the secret to a great latke is love but time. You have to be patient to wait for that crust to form on the outside of the latke.
1: Sizzling. Sounds good. <laughs> Sounds good. Now, we're talking about potato latkes, but are there non-potato
0: versions?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Sephardic Jews, that is Jews from Spain or North Africa or other places in the Middle East, they make something called keftas prasa. And those are leek fritters. And they're actually... Uh, originally for the Jewish New Year of Rosh Hashanah, but you could make them the same way. You just slice leeks really thin. You could boil them, or I actually like to saute the leeks after they've been cut really thin, and those become the main ingredient instead of potato, and they are fantastic. Well, if folks want to try potato latkes this year, but
1: maybe don't want to, you know, go out on a limb and and do a recipe themselves, any recommendations?
3: Well, I got to tell you, this is going to sound crazy, but Trader Joe's actually makes a pretty good latke. They're frozen, they come in a little box. You could pop them in the oven, and 15 minutes later, you've got a decent plate of latkes. All right. Well, Hanukkah starts the night of December 22nd this year. That's
1: Reset producer and Radio Z host Jason Mark. He split food duties with Monica Eng this week. We'll tweet out a recipe for those leek fritters and put up some pictures Jason took at the original Bagel and Bialy in Buffalo Grove. Jason, Monica, thanks. Now I'm hungry. Thanks, thanks a lot you. Key to you. And that's today's Reset. If you like what you hear, make sure you're subscribed to the podcast, and you can always tell your smart speaker to play Reset with Jen White. I'm Jen White. <laughs> Thanks for listening, and let's talk again soon.
2: Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more